Amen. All right, well, you're there in Proverbs chapter number 18. I'd like you to just flip back with me just real quickly to Proverbs chapter number 5. You're there in Proverbs chapter 18. Just flip back to Proverbs chapter number 5. And of course, last Sunday morning, we started a brand new series called Happily Ever After. And we are spending several weeks learning about the Christian home, talking about marriage. And uh, of course, we're going to talk about having children and raising children and, and all of those things. And I started last week with an introductory sermon uh, entitled The Institution of Marriage. And we looked at just a biblical overview of what the Bible teaches about marriage. And today, we're going to move on in the progression. Before we get to the children, we're going to deal with marriage. And before we get to marriage, we're going to deal with dating. So this morning, I'm going to preach a sermon, and it's specifically geared towards young people, the singles, and, 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 and really uh, even teenagers, not that I think teenagers should be dating, but they will soon one day be at the age of dating, and um, it's good for them to learn these concepts and learn these ideas. I'm preaching a sermon entitled, Are You Ready for Marriage? And I want to speak to you on how to know whether you are ready for marriage and really to give you a plan to get ready for marriage. In Proverbs chapter 5, in verse 18, the Bible says, Let thy fountain be blessed. I want you to notice the last part of verse 18. It says, And rejoice with the wife of thy youth. The Bible speaks positively about marriage, specifically in regards to young people uh, getting married. Here we're told to rejoice with the wife of thy youth. And of course, this is the understanding that a couple would come together in their youth to be married and they would uh, stay married and be married and you would for a lifetime rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Uh, even when you're no longer a youth, she's still the wife of thy youth, the wife that you married in your youth. You're there in Proverbs 5. Go back to Proverbs chapter 18 and look at verse number 22. When we're talking about dating and preparing for marriage, Proverbs 18 and verse 22, the Bible says this, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. If you remember, we saw last week in there in Genesis where God went through that creation story and he looked at all the things that he created and he said it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he saw Adam by himself and he said it is not good that man should be alone. Here we're told in Proverbs 18, 22, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. I want you to notice that marriage... It's something that God looks at in a positive light. He's the one that instituted marriage. It's something that he wants people to do. Whoso findeth the wife, findeth the good thing, and obtaineth, the Bible says, favor of the Lord. So this morning, I'm preaching uh, to the singles on the subject of, are you ready for marriage, or how to get ready for marriage. And I want to help you make some right choices. So if you're here this morning, and you're a single person, uh, no matter what your age is, if you're single and you're eligible uh, for marriage, then this sermon's for you. I want you to pay attention. I want you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. And um, even for uh, young people that are not at the age of marriage, you know, you, you teenagers, and I often teach this, uh, that the purpose of dating is marriage. You say, why would I want to start dating? You want to start dating in order to find a uh, future spouse. If you're not interested in getting married, then you should not be dating. It is my conviction that a 13-year-old is not ready to get married, so therefore a 13-year-old has no busy uh, business dating. Uh, and, and, you know, but obviously when you get to the ages of 17 and 18 and 19, you are more at the place of maybe starting to 
move in that direction. So uh, I'm not saying that this is something for teenagers uh, because I think that young teenagers should be dating. But I do think this, that when you're 12 and you're 13 and you're 14 and you're 15, this is a time to learn these lessons so that you can be ready to find the right person when it's time for you to write the, uh, find the right person. In fact, I'll be very honest with you. When I wrote this sermon, I wrote this sermon with my own children in mind. I thought to myself, what is it that I would want my kids to learn and to know about these things? So at the very least, my kids need to be paying attention this morning and uh, learning about these things. I want to help singles prepare for marriage and uh, to make the right choice regarding marriage. Now, over the last several weeks, I've been reading a book on the subject of marriage, and uh, uh, I've been reading it for for other reasons. I've been using it in counseling and things like that. But uh, what I've found is that uh, a lot of that the book is going to overlap, not maybe with the whole series, but specifically with the sermon. There's a book, uh, there's an, an old, uh, well-known, famous preacher by the name of John R. Rice, who, who wrote many books, and one of the books he wrote uh, was called The Home, and it's a really a manual on the subject of marriage. And in this sermon, I'm going to, there, there, there's a chapter in that book that I really like, and it, it's entitled Things That Should Delay Marriage. And uh, he gives a whole list of, of reasons why people should not get married. And I'm going to use a lot of quotes from his book in this sermon uh, this morning, and I'll be reading those for you. In fact, I'd like to read one to you right now, just by way of introduction. Here's what he, John R. Rice wrote in the book, The Home. He said, an unhappy marriage can be very much worse than no marriage at all. For millions of people, married life will be a miserable failure and much worse than no marriage if they do not take the time and precautions to marry the right person. Oftentimes, I look at uh, single people and I say, look, you're making a big mistake. This is not going to go well. This is not going to work out well. And single people have this idea that being married miserably would be better than being single for the rest of your life. What they find out when they get married and they're miserable is that they were happier when they were single. The truth is this, that John R. Rice is very much that uh, for many people, an unhappy marriage can be very much worse than no marriage at all. And many people will find misery and failure in marriage if they do not take the time and precautions to marry the right person. He also said this, certain conditions are most favorable for a happy and successful marriage. Therefore, intelligent people ought to wait until these happy conditions are met so that marriage may be happy and successful. I like how he put that. Intelligent people uh, ought to wait until these happy conditions are met so that marriage may be happy and successful. So I want to speak to you singles on the subject of marriage. Now, for those of you that are already married, you might uh, don't check out, all right? Uh, you think, oh, I don't need this sermon. If you're checking out, you need the sermon. Uh, this sermon. In this sermon, I'm going to talk to you about what it takes to be ready to get married. You, what you may find as we walk through this sermon is that you weren't ready, and maybe you're not ready to get married. Now, I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, pastor said you need to do these things to be ready, and we're not married, so we should split up. No, no, no. That's not what the point of the sermon is. But if you're, if you're single here this morning and you hear these things, you need to see these things as things that you need to work on in order to get married. You say, what if I'm married and I have to work on some of these things? Well, then you need to see this as things that you need to work on because you're married. Amen. 
while you're married, you need to work on yourself and on your marriage. You say, my marriage is miserable. Well, it can be a happy marriage. You can live happily ever after. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, can still apply to you. And God wants it to apply to you, but you need to apply these things to your life. So don't think, well, I don't need this sermon. Hey, every married person here needs this sermon because you need to determine, am I even now ready for marriage? And it's even more urgent for you because you are married. And these are things you ought to work, uh, you ought to work on and work towards. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a parent or you're a grandparent. Don't check out on me. This sermon will likely be a tool that will help you guide your children and guide your grandchildren into choosing the proper future mate. So the point is this. You hear me say it all the time. Whenever the Word of God is open, it's good for all of us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we're going to learn today on the subject of are you ready for marriage? You don't have to turn there. You keep your place there in Proverbs. And do me a favor. Put a ribbon or a bookmark there in Proverbs because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But while you do that, let me just read to you a little portion from Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 9. The Bible says, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. This is God's will. God's will is that you uh, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. Now, let me just be, tell you one last disclaimer, and we'll jump into it, and just to be honest with you. I'm not going to finish this sermon this morning. I started writing this sermon, and I realized I've got more content here than I can do in one sermon. It turns out the singles, they need a lot of help, all right? Uh, so I'm not going to finish this in one sermon. I'm actually going to finish this tonight uh, because I didn't want to uh, uh, spread it over two weeks. So I'm going to give you, I've got 10 things that you need to be aware of in order to prepare for marriage or that you need to be aware of uh, if you are uh, married. Some of the, most of these things are going to apply to you even if you're married already, uh, but I'm not going to be able to go to all, over all of them. So I'm going to give you five this morning. I'm going to give you five tonight. So I encourage you to come back tonight, 6 p.m., uh, for uh, the preaching of God's Word. Now, you're there in Proverbs. Go maybe you would to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 23, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter number 23. And let me give you these five things that you ought to do in order to prepare for marriage. And I would encourage you to write these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. Here's point number one. You ought to prepare for marriage by, number one, getting your spiritual life in order. You ought to prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. Acts chapter 23 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, and Paul, keep in mind, Paul was not a married man. He was a single man. But Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, notice what he says. This ought to be a goal of every Christian. Young person, not so young person, married, single, it doesn't matter. He says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now what is it that Paul means when he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day? Here's what he means by that. He's saying, I am right with God. I am right with the Lord. He wasn't saying he was perfect or he was sinless, but he was saying, I know that right now my conscience is clear. Before God, I know that I'm right with God. You're there in Proverbs 23. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 24. Look at verse 16. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. Notice what he says here. The Apostle Paul, he says, And herein, and herein do I exercise myself. Notice, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Here he tells us, not only, Paul says, 
do I know that I'm right with God? But he says, I know that I'm right with other men. See, it is the, the life, the, 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 the purpose of every Christian, whether you're married or not, to live a life, your life, in such a way where you get your spiritual life in order, where you can say, I'm right with God. My conscience is clear. My conscience is clean. I am right with God, and I am right with men. Now, that applies to all of us, but especially those of you who are in a stage of life where you are looking for a life's mate, the first thing that you must do to prepare for marriage is to get your spiritual life in order, is to get right with God, is to deal with any uh, major sins in your life and, be, uh, and, and get those things uh, uh, cleared and taken care of in order to enter into marriage. I often tell, uh, I, I tell all the, the, the newlyweds or the young couples that are engaged that I give uh, premarital counseling to, and I, give, and, and I, and I often say this to, to many other couples as well, what I have learned and what my wife and I have learned over the last 11 years of ministry, because in the last 11 years of ministry, we've done a lot of marriage counseling. I've done marriage counseling. My wife has counseled wives. And, and, and what, here's what we've learned over 11 years of ministry is that there are very few marriage problems. In fact, you may even make the argument that marriage problems do not even exist. Now, you could make the argument that they do exist, but here's what I want you to understand. The problems that bring people into my office, the problems that bring people into counseling, the problems that bring people into marriage counseling, or the problems that often lead people uh, towards divorce are not marriage problems. There's very few marriage problems if there are any marriage problems. See, marriage problems are really easy to deal with. Marriage problems are like he won't put his socks in the dirty laundry. You know, marriage problems are not that hard to deal with. What we have found is that when marriages struggle, when they have issues, when they have problems, it's not usually a marriage problem. What it usually is, is a single person problem that they brought into their marriage. Most of the time, when you're dealing with issues within marriage, it's not a problem that arose as a result of the marriage, but it was a problem that was already in the life of one or two of the individuals, and they dragged, they brought, they brought that baggage into their marriage. So let me just tell you something. Avoid a lot of heartache by dealing with sin before you get married. Obviously, you say we're all sinners. Yeah, we, we understand that. But there are some major sins that people are dealing with and struggling with. And while you're dealing and struggling with those things, I do not recommend you get married. Say, so what are you talking about? I'm talking about things like alcohol. Struggling with alcohol, struggling with drugs, struggling with pornography, struggling with gamber, uh, gambling, uh, uh, struggling with anger, struggling with rebellion, struggling with gossip and backbiting and bad attitudes. Hey, these are things that you need to deal with before you get married or else you might end up in somebody's office saying, we've got marriage problems when you really had no marriage problems. What you had is single people problems that you brought into a marriage. Because oftentimes you say, well, they weren't a problem before I was single. That's because nobody was keeping you accountable. Because nobody was looking over your shoulder and checking in on you and making sure that you were where you were saying you said you were going to be and doing what you said you were going to do. See, when you're single, you're often allowed uh, because a lack of accountability. And by the way, that's why I believe that single people ought to live in their uh, homes with their moms and dads until the day they get married. And mom and dad, don't check out of the lives of your adult children. Right. Keep them accountable. But oftentimes what single people do is they have these 
problems and they think, oh, once I get married, then this problem will be taken care of. And you just drag that problem with all its heartache into marriage. She said, I'd like to get prepared for marriage. Well, here's step number one. Prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. Someone, someone said this, we have no right to expect from someone else what we're not willing to do ourselves. You say, I want a spouse that loves the Lord and is honest and truthful and has character and has discipline. Okay, well, you have no right to expect that from someone else until you're willing to do it yourself. So you say, what's step number one? Here's step number one. Get your spiritual life in order. And by the way, for those of you that checked out, this is not just for singles. You say, I'm married. Okay, well, then you better deal with these issues if you've got them in your life. They're going to destroy your marriage. You got to, you say, uh, to prepare to get married, or if you already aren't married, hey, you have to get your spiritual life in order. You need to get to the place where you can say, like the Apostle Paul, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Get these things right. And of course, you have a pastor and a pastor's wife that are always wanting to help you and willing to help you. Keep your place there in Acts chapter 23. We're going to come back to it, but go back with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. I'm going to give you 10 things that you need to do in order to prepare for marriage. I'll give you five this morning and I'll give you five tonight. The first is to prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. The second thing is to prepare for marriage by deciding upon who it is that you are looking for. If you're a single person here and you say, I'd like to get married one day, you need to start thinking and decide who it is that you're looking for. See, before you start dating, you have to ask yourself, who am I looking for? Who am I looking for? What am I looking for in a spouse? What am I looking for in a future life's mate? Proverbs 16, look down at verse number 9. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. I want you to notice this verse. The Bible says, A man's heart, a man's heart deviseth his way. The word deviseth or devise means to plan or to think about. A man's heart plans or thinks or deviseth his way. Notice, but the Lord directeth his steps. You say, well, which one is it? Does the man devise his way or does the Lord direct his step? Well, the answer is both. When a man devises his ways, the Lord directed his steps. When a man has a plan, when a person gets a plan for what they're looking for, for what what they want to do in the direction they want to head, hey, when they start planning and thinking, then God begins to help them and meet them along the way and direct their steps. See, there's always a prepared place for a prepared man. And let me say this, there's a prepared wife for a prepared man. There's a prepared husband for a prepared young lady. A man's heart divides this way, but the Lord directed the steps. You got to identify who is it that you're looking for. You got to think, who is it that you're looking for? You say, why do I need to know that? Here's why. So that when the Lord directs your steps towards that person, you'll be able to identify. You say, why do I need to know who it is that I'm looking for? Well, aren't you praying for a future spouse? You should be praying for a future spouse if you're looking for a spouse. Well, what are you praying for? What are you asking for? 
You got to ask yourself, what am I looking for in a future spouse? Keep your place there in Proverbs. Go with me if you would to 2 Corinthians. If you had your place in Acts, after Acts, you have Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. I'd like you to keep your place in Proverbs. You can lose your place in Acts, but keep your place in 2 Corinthians. All right? So you ought to be in Proverbs and 2 Corinthians, if you would. Proverbs and 2 Corinthians, chapter number 6. Who are you looking for? Oftentimes, when you talk to young people about who they're looking for, they give you all these shallow answers. Well, I want him to have broad shoulders. I want him to be tall. I want him to have this or that. Or I want her to look this certain way, and I want her hair to look this way, and all these things. Let me tell you something. That's shallow. You say, what should I be looking for? What you should be looking for, and there's nothing wrong with, obviously, you should be attracted to the person you're married to, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that should not be your number one. Look, when you get down on your knees and you pray, you should not be praying, Lord, please get me a wife with long, dark hair. Lord, please, I just want her to, to have this certain look. Lord, please make sure he has a nice car. What you should be praying for is the character of that individual that you're looking for. You say, well, what should I be looking for? Well, here's the thing. You got to be looking for someone who's your spiritual equal. Looking for someone who's your spiritual equal. Are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship with righteousness with unrighteousness what communion hath light with darkness? We've talked about this verse recently, but let me explain it to you again. A yoke is a tool that is used to put two beasts of burden together. You might grab two oxen or two bulls, and you would put a piece of wood across their necks and tie them around it so that they would be yoked together. Therefore, you could put them to work, and they could work harder by working together. Any, the, the idea is called synergy. We can accomplish more together than we can alone. And here the Apostle Paul is teaching a principle that we should not yoke ourselves together with unbelievers. Now, that applies to all sorts of areas of life. We usually apply it to marriage, and there's nothing wrong with that. And usually what we derive from this teaching is that you should not marry someone. If you're saved, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you should not marry someone who's not saved, someone who's an unbeliever, someone who's not a Christian. And that's true. You should only marry a saved person. You should only marry saved people. And by the way, let me say this, because the purpose of dating is marriage, and since you should only marry saved people, you should only date saved people. Amen. Now people often, you know, people, they, people always hear what they want to hear. And, you know, they'll hear my story, or they'll hear Pastor Anderson's story, how both of us got our wives saved. Like, well, you guys got your wife saved, so I'm going to go marry, uh, uh, date all these unsaved girls. Okay, well, you need to re-listen to the story because neither one of us dated an unsaved girl. We got a girl saved, then we dated her. We got, did you hear me? That's why I'm confused as to why so many single people you know, aren't, aren't uh, that consistent to soul winning. You think if you're looking for someone, we literally go out knocking doors every week around here. You know, you ought to just tell your sewing partner, hey, if a, if, a, if a young single girl opens the door, let me get it. I'll, I'll give her the gospel. Hey, I, there's nothing wrong in the world with getting somebody saved and then dating them, but don't start dating unsaved people. 
You say, why, why should I date unsaved people? Well, you shouldn't marry unsaved people. The purpose of dating is marriage. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Say, so, well, what should I be looking for in a spouse? You ought to be looking for someone who's saved. But let me take it further. Not only, see, what I teach my kids, what my wife and I teach our children, what I want to teach our church family is this. You should be looking for someone who's your spiritual equal. So not only should you be finding somebody who's saved, you should be finding someone who's similar to you in spirituality. If you are a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive, soul winning, tithing, on fire for the Lord, Christian, then don't marry a Sunday morning only. You're, that's not your spiritual equal. You're ahead of them spiritually, especially ladies. You ladies, you I'm on fire for God. And then you marry some guy that's not on fire for the Lord. That's not going to work out well for you. Look, you got to be looking for individuals. You say, well, I'm on fire for the Lord. What should I be looking for? Let me give you a list of five things you got to be looking for. Number one, they should be saved. Number two, they should be spiritual. Number three, they should live separated lives. Number four, they should be serving. Number five, they should be soul winning. Amen. You say, what am I looking for as well? Look, if he's not a soul winner, don't give him your number. Amen. If he's not serving, if she's not serving, don't start that relationship. If they're worldly as hell and not living a separated life, hey, that's not someone you need to be dating. If they're not spiritual, they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't love the Lord, they don't love the things of God. Hey, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're spiritual. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you love the Lord. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're, you're right with God and right with the Lord. It's interesting to me that my wife and I, over, uh, the, over years, we've had people come to us for references, and we've had uh, uh, parents who have said, my son or my daughter is uh, thinking about or interested in this individual, and what, what do you think uh, about that? And we've had to sadly say, well, unfortunately, they actually don't go to church. Oh, we thought they went to church. Well, they don't go anymore. I wouldn't, I wouldn't date them. I can't give my recommendation. Hey, I'm here to tell you something. You need to find someone who's not only saved, you need to find somebody who's right with God. Amen. See, point number one is you get right with God. Point number two is you find someone that's right with God. Amen. Saved, spiritual, separated, serving, soul winning. And if they look nice too, then praise the Lord for that. <laughs> By the way, let me say this. You should be looking for someone who's doing all these things before you came in the picture. See, over 11 years, we've seen a lot of this. You got some guy who barely can make it to church on Sundays, never went soul when he never did anything, but then he finds some girl, and she's on fire for the Lord. Now he's all of a sudden, you know, a good Christian. Or some gal that's not interested in the things of God, but she meets some guy, and now all of a sudden, she's right with the Lord. Hey, you know, be careful about that. I, I, I want, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I have confidence that my wife has a genuine, authentic walk with God. And, it, it, you know, if I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I'm sick and I have to stay home, or if I get vaccinated and I have to stay home, I don't, my wife's going to be like, well, see, I'll be at church, see you later. You don't leave your husband? I, I was going to church before we started dating. Amen. I was living a separated life before we started dating. 
I gave up on the world before we ever start dating. I'm not going to uh, get backslidden for you now. Hey, you want to find someone who's spiritual? Just say, why? Here's why. Because when you get married, you get in a yoke with someone for life. See, the purpose of being in a yoke is that you help each other out. See, when you've got these two oxen and they're yoked up together and they're out there and they're plowing the field, sometimes one ox might have a hoof slip and they might fall a little bit, but when they're yoked to another oxen, they can pull them up. That's what you want in marriage. Someone's going to help you. Someone's going to pull you up. Someone's going to keep you going in the direction that you're supposed to be going. So I said, number one, when it comes to preparing marriage, you got to Prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. Number two, you got to prepare for marriage by deciding upon whom it is that you are looking for. Let me say this. Don't give your heart. You young people, listen to me. Don't give your heart to someone who has not given their heart to God. You'll regret it. You'll regret it. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 if you would. Keep your place in 2 Corinthians. Keep your place in Proverbs, but go with me to 1 Timothy. Find the T-books. They're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I said, number one, you got to prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. Number two, you got to prepare for marriage by deciding upon whom it is that you're looking for. And you ought to be looking for someone who's saved, spiritual, separated, serving, soul winning. You say, well, I'm not spiritual, separated, serving, soul winning. Okay, then go back to point number one. Start by getting your spiritual life in order. And when you're saved, spiritual, separated, serving, and soul winning, then you go and find someone who's saved, spiritual, separated, serving, and soul winning. And that's what you ought to be praying for. Now you can be praying, Lord, I want her to have hazel eyes. But before you pray that, pray, Lord, I want her to be a soul winner. And if you can throw in nice, beautiful eyes, that's nice too. Lord, I want them to be separated and, and, and spiritual. And if you can have a nice car, then praise God for that too. Don't give your heart to someone who's not given their heart to God. Number three. Prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order. Amen. Prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order. Let's talk about his finances. And this is not just for singles, single men. This is for all men. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible teaches that a man is to provide for his own house. The Bible says, hey, by the way, here it says, if any provide not for his own house, and especially for those uh, of his, uh, for, excuse me, it says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. This is not just referring to the fact that they provide for their, for their own house, the nuclear family, wife and children, but we should be ready to even care for uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, older parents or adult parents or grandparents. Amen. This is the context. Amen. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. Don't miss this. Notice how extreme this is. And is worse than an infidel. Say, so why would God say you're worse than an infidel? Because there's many an infidel out there who take care of their families. There's many an unbeliever out there who goes to work and provides for his wife and his kids. And the Bible says, look, if, if even the infidels do it, then, then you better believe that we as Bible-believing Christians ought to do it. 
How do I prepare for marriage? How to prepare? Hey, young man, you got to prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order. You say, what does that mean? You need to get to the place where you have a job or some sort of career that will provide for a future family. Here's what John R. Rice said in the home. He said, and I, I'm going to have to fix a little bit of the, of, the, of the quotation here because he was talking specifically about uh, an individual, but he, he said this, a man should have already learned to work learn to save money, be regarded as a grown man in the community with good business judgment and steady character. He says, when it comes to, you know, how do I know if I'm ready to get married? Well, if you have already learned to work and you've already learned to save money and you've already been regarded as a grown man in the community with good business judgment and steady character, then you're ready to get married. You know, well, well I'm 20 years old. I, I, not, I didn't ask, I didn't give you an age. I'm 40 years old. Yeah, but you uh, spend your entire day uh, sitting in your mom's basement in your underwear playing video games. <laughs> you're not ready to get married. It doesn't matter if you're 20 years old, 30 years old, or 40 years old. A man should have already learned to work, learned to save money, and be regarded as a grown man in the community with good business judgment and steady character. Amen. You need to have your finances in order. You're there in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You're going to go past 2 Timothy into 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. By the way, let me just say this. Grown men ought not play video games. I know that's like a super controversial thing to say today. 40-year-old men ought not be playing Mario Kart or whatever you're playing. Oh, my video games are more sophisticated. Shut up! Grow up! Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, and I thought as a child. He said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm thankful I grew up in a home where we didn't play video games when we were kids. My dad said, you're not going to waste your time with that. Go work. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. By the way, let me just tell you something. I would not allow my daughter to marry a man that plays video games. That's my opinion. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you that's what the Bible says. I'm telling you that's what I, that's what I say. You hear that, girls? First Thessalonians 4, verse 11. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that we may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have Notice these words, lack of nothing. You say, how do you know when you're self-sufficient? Here's how you, when you know when you're self-sufficient, when you're ready to be married or when you've done it right, when you have lack of nothing. I, I, I didn't say you're rich. I didn't say you're wealthy. But when you can put food on the table, you can provide clothes, you can provide shelter for a family, you're good to go. Amen. By the way, I will not perform and this is not my opinion, this is actually a rule we have. I will not perform a wedding for a man who does not have a job that can support a family. Amen. I don't expect people to be well off or wealthy. In fact, I think it's good for young couples to struggle a little bit. But they should be able to support themselves. If mama has to completely, you know, always be bailing you out or daddy has to always be bailing you out, that's a problem. 
You should be able to do your own business and to work with your own hands. You say, to what extent? That ye may have lack of nothing. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. I didn't say you have to have a nice fancy car and a nice fancy house, but you ought to be able to provide a shelter for that young lady, a shelter for those children that are coming. You ought to be able to provide food and clothing. You ought to be able to take care of a family. So prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order. And specifically for men, this is something that is of importance because you have to make sure that you have a job and a career and a work ethic that will provide for a family. But let me say this, it's not just for the young men. Go, go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter 31. You know Proverbs 31 is the famous proverb about the virtuous woman. We could, I could preach a whole sermon on the virtuous woman. I'm not going to. But let me say this. Not only should men get their finances in order, and you say, well, I didn't do any of that and I'm already married. Well, get your finances in order. But also, the lady should get her finances in order. And by the way, this is not just referring to single ladies, because I'm about to read to you from Proverbs 31. This is a married woman. Proverbs 31 and verse 24, the Bible says, She, referring to the virtuous woman, she maketh fine linen, notice, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchants, here you have a woman that she's producing, she's creating a product, and she sells it. She's delivering the girdles unto the merchant. I've heard people say, oh, well, this is referring to the fact that she has a job. You know, I've heard people say, like, my wife, you know, she works this job outside the home, and that makes her the virtuous woman. Man, if that was true, then every woman out there is a virtuous woman. Are you serious? This woman's not working. It doesn't say she's the merchant. It says she delivers her girdles unto the merchant. She's not, she's not sitting at a shop all day, clocking in nine to five, working as a merchant. But she is making stuff from home because she's a homemaker and she sells it. You say, what do you think young ladies that are not married ought to be doing when they're uh, at home? Because look, people get this idea. They say, oh, well, pastor, you teach that young women should not go to work. And by the way, I teach that young women should not go to work. Amen. Say, why do you think that young women shouldn't go to work? Well, Paul said, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to, uh, to speak reproachfully. He says that they should marry, bear children, guide the house. He didn't say they should go be the CEO of some company. It's dangerous to have your young girls out there in the workforce. But look, that doesn't, but, but then there's this other extreme. People hear us preach that and they're like, oh, okay, so that means that my 19-year-old daughter should just be in her pajamas all day doing nothing. No, no, she should be working. Amen. Oh, you said she shouldn't work. Well, she'd be doing the same thing that she should be doing when she's married. She should be working at home. She'll be helping with the housework and all those things. But by the way, she could be running a, a business from her house. That would make her a lot like the virtuous woman. Amen. She make a fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Now, look, not only is she not idle, she's also good with her finances. Look at verse 16, Proverbs 31, verse 16. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planted the vineyard. Notice, she's, she's got some, some uh, business savvy. She considers a field and, and she buys it. She's selling her merchandise. She's selling 
Uh, she's making fine linens and selling it and delivering girdles unto the merchants. Look, young men, you say, I want to get married one day. Okay, well, you better work at developing a job or a career that can support a family. But you know what, young ladies, you ought to work on your finances as well, and you ought to work on your career as well. You say, what should I be learning? Well, you ought to be learning to cook. Cook actual meals, not, you know, opening up a hungry man and putting in the microwave. <laughs> Cook actual meals for an entire family. Amen. Well, I don't have a big family uh, uh, to, to, to cook for, so I'm never going to be able to get ready for that. You know, it's funny around here. Around here, it seems like every other week we're asking people, uh, we're telling, uh, announcing to our church family that some lady with six kids went into labor. Would you like to uh, provide a meal? It seems to me like that'd be a great opportunity for a young lady to say, yeah, let me try to make a meal for a whole family. See how that yeah, see how that works. Now, it may not work out well for that family. <laughs> you may want to add a gift card to that thing. <laughs> what I'm saying is learn to, you say, I want to be a wife and have children. Okay, well, why don't you learn to cook for an entire family? Why don't you learn to shop, not just for yourself, but for a household? Why don't you learn to be frugal? Why don't you learn some skills like sewing or cutting hair or baking? Hey, why don't you start a stay-at-home business? Here's what I'm saying. If that's what you want to do when you grow up, then why don't you do it now? You ought to work on your finances, on your career. Proverbs 31. Look at verse 11. Here's my favorite one. Proverbs 31, verse 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Now, that's a good verse. That ought to be said of every wife. But I want you to notice that the context is regarding to finances. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Now, what's spoil? A spoil is a good taken by war. A spoil is something that men would get that maybe they weren't necessarily counting on, but a war broke out, they went to battle, they won the battle, and as a result, they were able to bring home some spoil. Here the Bible says, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. What's the Bible teaching? Here's what it's saying. This lady is so good with finances that there's not a guy running around thinking to himself, man, I really kind of need a war to break out because I could use some spoil. You say, what's the equivalent in 2022? There's not a guy running around saying, man, my wife has just racked up all the credit cards. I could really use a bonus right about now. It'd be nice if I just came into, you know, came into some uh, money that I wasn't expecting because my wife has spent it all. No, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She's trustworthy with her finances. She considereth the field and buyeth it. She works hard. She's not idle. Look, I'm just telling you, you if you're here this morning, you say, I need to prepare for marriage. I want to prepare for marriage. Well, you ought to prepare by getting your finances in order. You ought to prepare by getting your finances in order. Go, go back to second, uh, uh, second, or go, go to 1 Corinthians but if you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, just flip back from 2 Corinthians to 1 Corinthians. Let me give you number four. Here's number four. Prepare for marriage by protecting your purity. I said number one, prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. Number two, prepare for marriage by deciding upon whom it is that you are looking for. Number three, prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order. Number four, prepare for marriage by protecting your purity. Now, I dealt with this last week, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's good to uh, cover it again. It's good for young people to cover it as many times as possible. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, flee fornication. 
Fornication is having a physical relationship before marriage. What does God think about that? He says, flee, run from it. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've got to protect your purity. You say, why? Because your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Amen. Say, how do I do that? How do you do that? Well, first of all, you do that. Go, you're there in 1 Corinthians, go to Romans, Romans chapter 13. Here's how you do it. Determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. Amen. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. By the way, if you're a single person here, determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. This sermon's not for me, I'm already married. Okay, if you're a married person here, determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex that you're not married to. Romans 13 and verse 14. I'm just trying to apply it for you so you don't think I wasn't preaching at you. Romans 13 verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. See that word provision? The word provision means to provide for or to supply for. Make not supplies, make not provision. Don't provide the opportunity for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You say, what's the best way to resist temptation? The best way to resist temptation is to avoid it altogether. Amen. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Determine to not be alone with a member of the opposite sex. You ought to date in groups. You ought to date in group settings. So you ought to have a chaperone. And look, people ask me questions about these things all, all the time. I'm sure whenever I preach on these types of things, people have all sorts of questions. And let me say, yes, I do think that it's good to have chaperones for your older children when they're out uh, dating. And, but let me just say this. I don't think it's a good idea to have younger siblings chaperone. I think, the, I think the mom and dad should do it. But I also think that mom and dad should not be sitting at the table, you know, having a conversation uh, with the couple trying to get, learn, learn each other and, and get close to each other. You know, I think if you're going to uh, uh, be a chaperone, it should be mom and dad. And mom and dad should maybe be at another table in the restaurant in the same, in the same room. That way you allow them some privacy. You're not right there in their bubble, but you're also keeping an eye on it. You say, that sounds like a lot of work. Hey, having children is a lot of work. Amen. Especially you dads. Your, your, your whole, read the Old Testament. Your job is to make sure that when that girl walks down the aisle, when you walk her down the aisle, you are testifying to the fact, I know for a fact that she is pure. Amen. I mean, that's, gonna be, that's, that's my goal. To walk my daughters down the aisle and say, I know for a fact this girl is pure. How do you know that? Well, because their nine-year-old sibling told me. No, because I was there because I didn't let them out of my sight. Amen. You got to protect your daughters. You got to protect your sons. You got to determine not to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. But let me say this as well. Determine, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, determine not to have physical contact with a member of the opposite sex. And if you're married here this morning, and you say this sermon's not for me, okay, determine not to have physical contact with a member of the opposite sex that you're not married to. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. 
Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Go back to Proverbs chapter 31, if you would. Proverbs chapter 31. We're talking about how to prepare for marriage. And as I hope you've noticed, a lot of these things apply to you even if you are married. Say, what, what do I do to prepare for marriage? Well, number one, you got to prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order. Get right with God. Deal with any major sins in your life. Get those things out in the open and get them cleared away and get them, uh, uh, and, and, and get them fixed. So you're not dragging in a bunch of baggage into your marriage. Number two, prepare by deciding upon whom it is that you're looking for. And you ought to be looking for somebody who's saved, somebody who's spiritual, someone who's separated, someone who's serving God, and someone who's a soul winner. You ought to prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order. Young men learn to work and provide for a family. Young ladies learn to run a household and be good with your finances. Number four, you ought to prepare for marriage by protecting your purity. Here's number five, and this is probably the, the, the biggest one. This is probably the, the big one. Number five, you ought to prepare for marriage by working on yourself. Amen. You ought to prepare for marriage by working on yourself. It's interesting because in Proverbs 31, we have this famous passage about the virtuous woman. I mean, this, this, the, the virtuous woman is a standard of the goal that every Christian lady ought to want to be. But begins with this context, Proverbs 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The idea is that a virtuous woman is hard to find. By the way, ladies, your goal ought to be that every time your husband reads this verse, he's able to say what I say to myself every time I read it. Every time I read Proverbs 31, 10, I say, I read, who can find a virtuous woman? I think to myself, I did. Amen. I did. Can your husband say that? Amen. Who can find a virtuous woman? And then he reads that thing, he's like, I don't know who that is, but it's not my wife. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? A virtuous woman is hard to find. But you know what? A virtuous man is hard to find too. Go to Psalm 12, look at verse 1. Flip back to Psalm 12 and verse 1. Psalm 12 and verse 1. Psalm 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Help. This, is, this could be the life verse of many single young ladies. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. What's it saying? It's hard to find a good man. The godly man ceaseth. The godly man is disappearing. That's what it's saying. The godly man ceaseth. The losers abound. The effeminates abound. The worthless abound, but the godly man he ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. See, it's hard to find a virtuous woman, but it's also hard to find a godly man. It's hard to find a faithful man. So, in order to prepare for marriage, you ought to be working on yourself. Someone said it this way. And some of you young people, you should write this down. You should work at becoming the type of person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. Yeah. 
See, you get all these ideas. Well, this is the type of person I'm looking for. He needs to have this type of job, and he needs to have this type of car, and he needs to look this way. He needs to have to be this tall, and I want his shoulders to be this broad, and I want, I'm looking for all these things. And you, you got this whole idea of, of what Prince Charming looks like or what the damsel in distress looks like, and that's all well and good. But let me ask you a question. What makes you think that when you find the person that you're looking for, that they're looking for you? What makes you think that when you find the person that you're looking for, that you're the person that they're looking for? See, you say, I can't find the person I'm looking for. Well, that's great news because while you're looking for the person that you're looking for, you ought to be working at becoming the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. Amen. You ought to work on yourself. You ought to work at becoming a great catch. So what are some areas for personal development? In my life, I have, I have brought the personal development areas into four categories. I'm talking about for me personally. Because by the way, this is not just for singles. This is for everybody. You're married? You say, I'm already married. Well, don't just, I'm married, so I'm just going to let myself go. <laughs> She's stuck with me, bless God. Hey, you say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not married. Well, you better be working on yourself. I am married. Keep working on yourself. Here's a marriage for personal development. Faith. Your spiritual life. Your walk with God. You ought to be working on that. Family. Your, if you're married, your relationship with your wife, your children. If you're not married, your relationship with your, with your father, your mother, your siblings. Fitness. Your personal health. Finances. Yeah, I, what should I be working on? Uh, how about something regarding your faith? How about something regarding your family? How about something regarding your fitness? How about something regarding your finances? Hey, you ought to be working on yourself. Hey, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that my wife, who's the most beautiful woman on earth, you know, we've been married for, in June, I think we'll have been married for 18 years, and I'm thankful that she still goes running and still goes on the elliptical and still tries uh, to take care of herself and still dresses nice and still looks nice. Uh, you say, who's she doing that for? For me! Amen. And you know what? I'm doing the best I can with what God has given me. <laughs> but I get on that elliptical and I try to dress nice and look nice. You know, why? You say, well, you guys are married. Yeah, here's what I'm saying. We're, people that we're married and we're still trying to look nice for each other, and then you got young people. Who are like, I'm looking for a wife, and you walk into church looking like a slob. <laughs> look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just telling you, you you're looking for a wife. Maybe do some push-ups. <laughs> Maybe get on get on a treadmill. Right. And 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 you say, well, I'm already married. Do some push-ups. Amen. Get on a treadmill. Right. Don't have this idea like, well, you know, he's stuck with me. Is that what you want? Is that, I mean, do you think I want my wife to just be like, well, I mean, he, was, he really let himself go, but I mean, what, what divorce or murder, which one? <laughs> I want, you know, you, know you, you say, this is selfish. I don't think it's selfish for a husband to want his wife to think he looks nice. Amen. And for a wife to want her husband to think she looks nice. And that requires you working on yourself. And if you're trying to find a spouse, comb your hair, tuck your shirt in, take a shower. <laughs> Work at becoming the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. Work on your faith. 
Work on your family. Work on your personal fitness. Work on your finances. Go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I'm not going to have time to finish this. I told you that this morning. I've only given you five points. I've got five more tonight. I'd encourage you to come back. You got young people? Make sure you come back. Bring them back. You married? You say, I'm married. I don't have young people. Come back. It'll be good for you too. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You know what you ought to do? You say, I'm married. Well, you ought to involve God in, in your family. Amen. Say, I'm single. Well, you ought to involve God in the establishment of your family. Start involving God in your dating life. Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. How do I involve God in my dating life? Here's how you involve God in your dating life. You start by getting your spiritual life in order. You start by deciding upon who it is that you're looking for. You start by getting your finances in order, protecting your purity by working on yourself. Because when God brings you across that guy or that girl that you've been praying for, Make sure you're ready to meet God's will. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these biblical principles, Lord, and I pray that you would help all the young people in our church to take these principles to heart, to prepare, to prepare for marriage one day to prepare themselves to be ready to find the right person. Lord, I pray for the married couples that they would take the things that apply to them and work on them in their marriages. It's so vitally important that we allow the Lord to build the house because when we don't, we labor in vain that build it. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.